welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown Podcast, where information is king, drinking is mandatory, and the beer is always flowing. Now, let's check in with your hosts and see what's on draft in this session. Hi, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown, episode number 12. Uh, this episode is really not so much craft beer related, but um, it, kind of something that's tied to craft beer. So we're going to talk all about mead today. Um, Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery is going to be on just a little bit later. Uh, for right now, though, we are going to kind of talk about our normal show. So uh, the first thing we tend to do in most of these is the beer news. Uh, so what I wanted to do was bring up a couple of things that we found over the past week and see about, um, you know, what they, you know, what's going on. So the the first thing I found, this is from a couple days ago, but the Great American Beer Fest uh, sold out in 20 minutes. That's <laughs> Yeah, it's completely insane. And uh, the article here I was reading actually says the – uh, the big reason they think it happened was uh, ticket scalpers. Mm. So it looks like it was only scalpers. a matter of time. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, the article goes on to, to pretty much talk about. Um, let's see here. Their public ticket allotment sold out 45 minutes last year. 2011, it took a week to sell. So 2013 took 10 minutes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, pretty. Uh, it's kind of wild. Yes, uh, certainly I mean, part of it is the popularity of GabFest and the name it makes for itself and all the awesome beer you get to drink and all the crazy people you get to hang out with. Um, but it will be interesting to see about the scalper thing. Yeah. Um, and they actually How much about, is a ticket to GabFest? Uh, I believe they said it was $75. Let's see here. Yeah? Yeah, 75 bucks. make a pretty penny off that. So... Yeah, and they were saying um, last last year's tickets after they sold out were going for roughly two hundred on uh, like eBay and yeah. StubHub and all those things. Um, but you know what? Like they say, and they actually said in the article, it's not about how many problems you have; it's about the quality. Yeah, and that's a pretty quality problem to have that you could sell. Yeah, you know, even if it is scalpers buying a bunch of them, it's still. Well, the crazy it, thing is, it's like industry people want to go to this one too. You yeah. know, it's, most of us now are sick of doing everything, but um, my Trogues rep was like, oh my god, I'm going to Gabfest this year, you know, and it's we don't have that anymore, that excitement. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, even if it is scalpers getting it, at least that they're getting it because there's such a high interest. Yeah. So, it's pretty cool. Maybe one year I'll get to go. Maybe. Maybe one year I'll get to go. Yeah. Um, this one, so the next thing I found, uh, this is pretty cool. No, I mean, Interesting. Uh, it was a follow-up to the beer additive that we talked yeah. about. Yeah, uh, which we still haven't got our the, sample of. No, the, the ONTAP, I think it was called. Mm -hmm. So this uh, company, uh, Backcountry Beverages, makes uh, carbonation systems that you put into, like, water bottles, and you take them out, and you go camping so that you can, you know, have Coke and Pepsi and, you know, carbonated beverages while you're camping without having to carry a two-liter bottle with you. Mm. Um, but they made it for beer now. So I call it the beer shot. Uh, it's a little shot about yay big and holds 60, a pint of beer. So you take the pint of beer, you put it in this little bottle, mix uh, however many ounces of water equals the 16. It mixes it, carbonates it, and you get a beer. Um, I don't know. I, I, there, I haven't been able to find anything on what, how they make it. I mean, they say... 
Yeah, it it's, it's, it's very tight-lipped about it because it has all four ingredients in there. But they say they don't remove water at all during the process. They just add it later at the end. So yeah. it, it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand. They said it. So this 5% pale ale started off at 49% ABV. And magically, black magic and smoke and mirrors turn into five ounces of, or five percent ABV of sixteen ounce beer. So the question arises: How long until somebody just does a shot of the? Yeah, why would you even bother to mix it? And you could just yeah, yeah, just do shots. I feel like beer flavored vodka. Yeah, the, the review said it tasted uh, obviously watered down. Yeah. Um, they make a black IPA too. Uh, would be interesting to try, I suppose. Yeah, um, I, I liked what he said in here. Uh, the said the flavor is thinner, more like beer flavored sparkling water. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you are going on a really long camping trip and you really, really need to have your beer, you don't want to lug a cooler around with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you know if you're out hiking for a month, it might yeah. be interesting. Uh, I, I don't know, um, but the. I guess the, the backbone of the whole story, what I found was interesting, is um, where that could, where that idea could kind of translate into more stuff is that's how Coke and Pepsi and all those companies ship their product. Right. Yeah. You know, they, they make the concentrate, put it in a Mix boxes, a bag. Yeah. And, you know, send that out to the bar instead of having to send... Even the small soda companies do that, yeah. too, actually. So, you know, they, they can ship things for way less than you can ship beer because mm -hmm. beer is shipping all the water where, you know, soda companies aren't. So, you know, that's the first step in doing that, and they could figure out a way that that works. I mean... Man, that's weird. A handcrafted favorite beverage in powder or syrup form, basically. Yeah, but I mean, if you could make it so that you could actually ship, you know, a concentrate of sorts to, you know, from California here and then reconstitute it here and then sell it. And still have the flavor. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm usually kind of protective about messing with something that works. But oh, maybe that could be cool. You know, that could get things from farther away here better. You know, we'll beers see. that aren't sold out of the area because it's too much to ship them. Yeah. Who knows? So I guess on to television. <laughs> Something near and dear to my heart. Uh, looks like there's two different TV shows coming up that might... Might uh, actually, you know, one's definitely coming to fruition. One might. Um, it looks like the the Brood Dog show is definitely happening. Yes, which um, I'm excited about. Those guys are insane. Yeah, so, I mean, they make the world's highest alcohol beer mm -hmm. several times over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the Sink the Bismarck? Is that it? They did Tactical Nuclear Penguin first, and then the German company beat them. So then they did Sink the Bismarck to beat the German company. Yeah. And then I don't know if they needed to beat anybody or not, but then they went did what the end of time, the end of history. Oh, okay. Yeah. That came in the, 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 the taxidermy animals. Yeah. Yes, that just, was awesome. I, I don't like <laughs> It cracked me that's up. A, that's a little too weird. They're all weird. If you watch the Tactical Nuclear Penguin episode where they actually like freeze the stilt and stuff, there's a mm -hmm. guy running around in a penguin outfit the entire time. So. Oh, wow. So this isn't on yet, is it? No, okay. I don't believe so. Um, so I said there's going to be seven one-hour episodes, and I guess the whole idea of the show is they're going, they come over here, they're Scottish, mm -hmm. uh, they come over to the U.S., and they're going to go around each episode to a different beer city uh, throughout the country and uh, talk to brewers in the area, um, and the big thing is they're going to make a locally inspired beer 
in each of the cities they go to with the people that are there, with the brewers that are there. And I guess their idea is to try and do something crazy and ridiculous. And but sort of local and fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see, anything else on that? Uh, the one thing I liked about it, why I want to watch this, is the guy said that their goal was to bring craft beer to a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and to bring kind of crazy craft beer to a bigger audience. So I, I think that's great. Brewdog yeah. is already a beer nerd's dream anyway. Yeah. So So I think that's cool. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of TV shows is the planned, might kind of sort of happen, Dogfish Head show. Right. So, now, this is a different Dogfish Head show than we've had in the past. Yeah, that was Brewmasters. It was on Discovery. Right. Which I, I liked and disliked that show. I mean, it. I thought it opened up the brewing process and, yeah, and it was to fun exploring and learning about some of the histories and different styles yeah. of beers, but it definitely went off topic, sort of like this podcast on occasion. But yeah. uh, we'd go off topic real fast. Yeah. So hopefully the brew dog one will be a bit more on. Yeah, well, it seems like they the brew dog guys have more of a solid kind of path to follow, mm-hmm. you know. Where they have to do that same right. formula over right. time, whereas Dogfish Head Brewmasters was just kind of hey, ADD let's, show. Let's, let's do this. Inside. Yeah, <laughs> let's be a rap group. Um, but this this one here is actually it's not going to be uh, reality at all. No. Um, it's it's just going to be a sitcom basically. Uh, the thing I thought was cool was uh, the guy that's going to star in it if it gets made is Ken Marino. Who I don't know. I looked at his picture, but I didn't recognize. So. Him. And it's probably because you're a little I bit younger. I don't now. live in pop culture either. The, uh, he was one of the stars of The State. If you ever watched the old MTV show, The State. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV growing up. Mom. It's okay, a hilarious show. Okay. Um, he was on a couple other shows recently, too, um, a couple years ago. on the. I do ever, remember Veronica Mars. The ever popular Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. He, was the, uh, he, he was the shady detective. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess he's been friends with Sam Calzone for years, and the article said he actually helped them. Uh, he helped Sam paint the original brew pop. Right. Yeah, so, that was a cool article. Yes. Yeah, a lot of the things they've done, he's been at too. So I guess he came up with the idea for the show, uh, pitched it to Fox. Fox loved it. So this doesn't mean it's going to get made. Right. Sam's a very interesting character. I mean, if you saw any of the Brewmasters episodes, he yeah. is ready and willing to talk in front of the camera. So if they are really going to base it around the sort of fictional guy kind of that started mm-hmm. brewery, I kind of like this in the sense that um, craft beer is so mainstream. I mean, that's not the words that I want to use, mm-hmm. but that you know we do have scalpers making money off these things now. Yeah. Um, we do have national television wants to put it on, and uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, hopefully it's not hokey, you know. Yeah. But Well, then there's that movie just came out too, the... Uh... Drinking Buddies. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess that's a little more love story-ish. Yeah, I did not uh, did not see that one. But, um, but yeah, so it's going to be based on the life and business of the Calagione family uh, using a fictional brewery and all that kind of stuff. So, right. You know, basically based off the rough idea, but I don't know. could be interesting. I guess it depends yeah. how they handle it. Yeah. You know, if they make it super cheesy. And it may not even go. Like yeah. like we said, Fox has you know wants it or has bought it or whatever, but it may not go. Well, it's Fox. So it'll go for a season and get canceled. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it'll be the most amazing show ever seen. They'll show it for one season and then they'll cancel it. Yeah, sad. And show all the episodes on. Um, 
That's what they do with Firefly. Um, so that's kind of really the only beer news stuff I have. Um, anything else wildly interesting you found? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that Walmart article oh, yeah, or I not. Love, I love hating on Walmart. Yeah, um, this is interesting to me, and I don't. Um, I just happened to be reading a little bit at lunch today, and uh, Walmart has put forth this huge expansion into carrying beer in their stores. Now we again, for the hundredth time, live in Pennsylvania, so our Walmarts don't have beer. Um, but Brian and I are both non-Walmart people, uh, so we don't go in there anyway. But um, let's remember that it is an enormous chain, and it does make a ton of money, and a ton of people do use Walmart. Um, so for them to be putting so much emphasis on alcohol makes sense, but kind of doesn't, because the thing that I remember about Walmart when I was a kid is you couldn't buy any, like, naughty CDs or anything in there, like everything was edited, mm -hmm. and I guess Sam Walton is very publicly against drinking to excess and mm -hmm. um, the overconsumption and that kind of thing, so if they're going to start putting this emphasis on alcohol, putting it better placement in the store so when you walk in it's easier to see, mm -hmm. um, obviously they're just, like any store, capitalizing off the popularity of alcohol, but sort of going against who they stand for yeah, but, or stood for. But every other state basically has has, I mean, an entire Walmart-length aisle of beer. Right. It's just, so I don't think it's so much a question of them getting beer. Well, they're, they're basically redoing some of these stores. Yeah. And and putting it up front and center instead of yeah. hiding it in back. Well, I mean, if it's going to be there either way, right. might as well, you know, it's it, if you're against alcohol and you still have it, you don't get extra bonus points for <laughs> hiding it in the back of the right. store. Right, right. If, if they're going to have it, they might as well sell it. My, my concern is... Just like with any of the other, you know, big stores that sell alcohol, is you know, money money talks. Right. So, who's going to be the money that talks at a store like that? What's going to be, in my opinion, it would be the, you know, the the big macro guys. And if they want to do craft, it'll be their crafty beers. And the, then the thing that I think concerns me more and more when I think about this is instead of. You know, is, are the big guys going to buy the shelf space? Yeah, of course, if they can. But even the big guys have too many packages out right now. There no, are so many packages oh, no, and zero shelf space. Well, think of Sam Adams. I mean, yeah. I was literally in one of my distributors today, and there was like 17 Sam Adams beers. Mm -hmm. uh, they're taking from their Boston Lager sales and their seasonal sales by offering the Imperial Stout and uh, the, the Harvest. They have a Harvest variety. They have the regular mm -hmm. variety. Um, I, I think even in that they're going to space themselves out. I mean, I, I understand that Bud can take more and more of that room by having different packages, but even they're not going to be able to have all their packages on the shelf anymore. Yeah, but I, I mean, the, the reason they're doing that is for those shelves. I mean, they're, you know, if, Bud, if Budweiser has 20 different styles, then, you know, they can't, they're not going to convince Walmart to give me 20 spaces in a row across right. for Bud Light. However, I'm sure they could convince them to say, give me 20 rows, one for each of these beers. Until they have 22 and 24, and they still only yeah. have 20 rows, 20 yeah. spots. Well, that, But that's what they plan. So when they have something, if there's something that they're focusing on Walmart this big, I, I firmly believe that will dictate to an extent what beers are made. You know, Hopefully like, there's still some part, though, that says we want to sell what our consumers have, or what our consumers demand. Um, right the, now, the article, well, yeah, I mean, the article that I 
was reading about mm -hmm. this Walmart thing was saying that they have gone back and looked at what has sold and what hasn't. Um, obviously, they don't admit to whether it was purchased to be there in the first place or not, but mm -hmm. you know that they do make space and they try different things. And then, of course, there were comments at the end of the article, and one of them was like, well, I own a small brewery in Yellowstone, near the Yellowstone area or something, and we've been dealing with our local Walmart, and they've always been very helpful. So... The, the other thing I worry about with it is um, I watched a movie a while ago called The Walmart Effect. So Walmart goes to, you know, we'll use that little brewer as an example, goes to them and says, we love your beer, people buy your beer all the time, we want to buy as much of it as you can make. So then they make a, they expand their brewery mm. and they put out more product. And then Walmart says, we don't want this anymore. Mm. Uh, there's farms that have been put out of business, and that's the farm's fault, not Walmart's fault. But they grew so much to meet the demand that Walmart wants that when something changes and they say, well, we don't want to feature craft beer anymore. Right. Um, sorry, we don't need you anymore. Um, that could – I could see craft breweries trying to keep up with that expansion if it does become as big as the article says. Yeah. And in the long run, it hurting them if they don't manage it right. And it's not even really managing it right if Walmart says – we need this amount of your product at this price, or we won't do business with you. Mm. You know what? What would they? What do they do then? You know what I mean? You can't. It's either you walk away from the biggest paycheck of your career, right? Or, and the fact that you do get a ton of exposure if you do show up in a Walmart. I mean, yeah. Is it a craft beer crowd? I don't know, but you do get a ton of exposure. So that's my only concern about it. Is that like it's called the Walmart effect. Right, but that, that would be with anything, like you said. Right, that's yeah. farms, that's breweries, that's yeah. any manufacturer. So I'm more protective of the breweries. Well, absolutely, than, yes, of course. I, mean, I like farms, I like food and all that. Food. <laughs> it is good. But you see what I mean, and that mm -hmm. could even extend out to, you know, farms expanding because to grow more hops and grains right. and things for them, and all they'd have to do is drop up a hat, change their policy, and that could crash a lot of, the, a lot of an industry. For sure. I mean, especially one that is kind of sensitive at the moment, like craft beer is with just all the growth and, you know, it's not like something like wine that is very ingrained and already kind of, you know, firmly set. It's, you know, new breweries growing, new expansions. Oh, kind of scares me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. So uh, something new I kind of wanted to start this week was to talk a little bit about some of the really good beers that have come out recently. Um, ones that we can find, ones we can't find. Someone gets to find them. Yeah. Uh, the first one, you know, we, we tried a McKellar here a little while ago, and uh, the Mexus Ranger. Mexus Ranger, yeah. that's right. Uh, and we talked all about them, and we mentioned their Beer Geek Breakfast. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it looks like they came out with a new one. Um, it's called the Miller Beer Geek, or McKellar, sorry, Miller. <laughs> McKellar Beer Geek Vanilla Shake. Uh, it's an imperial stout. It's going to come out in 11.2-ounce bottles. So that's kind of small, isn't it? Yeah, those are like the European style, like yeah. the fruity and little guys. Yeah. Um, an oatmeal, uh, oatmeal stout with coffee and vanilla. Sounds amazing. Yes. 13% uh, ABV. Uh, looks really cool. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... Uh, the the article that kind of talked about it I read said that it reminded them of a kind of taste strong yeah they, they said it kind of gave it a thick kind mm. of alcoholic taste so I'm probably won't find it around mm. around us but yeah technically but I, I don't think they're around here but they could make their way yeah 
Um, speaking of oatmeals, uh, Great Divide came out with New Yeti for the year. Okay. Uh, it's an oatmeal stout. That sounds good. Another oatmeal imperial stout. Um, the Yetis generally are just the 22-ounce bombers. Uh, mm -hmm. They're doing draft with it. Uh, cool thing is they added raisins to it, too. Not a lot, from what I understand, just enough to give it a little bit of, of a sweet flavor. So I'm surprised how low the alcohol is for the raisin addition. Yeah. Get um, sugar out of those raisins. Yeah. But so, like, 9.5% alcohol. Um, I don't know, looks amazing. I haven't found a, a Yeti that I don't like yet. No, they're all good. Yeah. Um, I really want to get one of their, uh, they make signs for bars. That is a piece of wood with the Yeti logo and the Yeti's fur. I have not seen that. Um, I only saw one. It was in South Carolina. Uh, or, I'm sorry, it was in Savannah, Georgia. Hmm. It was just hanging on the wall, and it was like a... Pet the, pet yeah, the Yeti? Yeah, the, sure, a couple drunk people walked past <laughs> and petted the Yeti pet as the I go. Yeti. Um, so this is one... I haven't tried a lot of things from Sweetwater. Um, seems really hard to, to find where we are, but yeah. they're making a one-off called The Price is Wrong. Um, uh, it's a Belgian strong pale ale. So I guess it's they say it's it's kind of like a Belgian IPA, but not as bitter. Okay. Uh, I believe it's around 78 IBU, so I mean it's fairly bitter. Fairly bitter, yeah. 9% um, alcohol. Uh, it's part of what they call their dank tank releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, kind of going back to our... Uh, well, they make our, the four, well, the 420, I guess, is in reference to the interstate, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only reason they're allowed to keep making it, because uh, I think they got a question about that. I bet they did, yeah. Um, but, I mean, that that looks interesting. Um, it's only coming out in 22-ounces and bombers, 22-ounce uh, bombers and draft, but once it's gone, it's gonzo. They have a, a little restaurant in the Atlanta airport. That is actually, I think, the only reason really? I've had some of their beers. Really? Yeah. I don't think they would have anything like that at the, well, I don't know. I, I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe mm -hmm. they would have some there. Yeah, I don't know how much they're making yeah. Uh, the next beer I found is something near and dear to our hearts. Yes. Um, a Pennsylvania brewery, uh, Trogues. Uh, real big fan of Trogues, always have been. Um, don't think I've had one of their beers I dislike. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well said. Trogues does something really cool. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, they do their Scratch Beer series. So basically, they have a whole separate system in their brew house that is just made for Scratch Beers. And Scratch Beers are the ones that might be weird, unique. Uh, they might not know if they work. They Something might... they don't want to mass produce just in case it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically, it's like their playhouse. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, they just number the beers. So they might give them kind of nicknames, but most of the time they're just a number. Uh, they're up to 107 now. Um, Cho Trogue Scratch 107 is a Saison. It's the Beat It Saison. Mm. B-E-E-T. Yeah. Uh, so it's a Saison with red beets and peppercorns. Uh, it was actually, so all the employees of Trogues once a year have a contest, uh, a brew, a homebrew contest. So you have to come up with the recipe, and then you, get, you brew it, and they, it's kind of a big deal. They call it the, um, metal, uh, the metal Brewer Challenge. They have a big metal cup. Mm -hmm. They hand out. Nice. Uh, yeah. So the winner, along with the cup and getting to, show your dominance over your fellow co-workers for a year, is you get to brew the beer on the scratch system. It's better than a parking space. Yeah, exactly. So uh, their winner got to do that, and uh, he said he got the recipe idea because he looked up recipes for beets. So the I can't think of what a beet tastes like, not to be <laughs> random here. but Well, I guess to go back, I 
forgot about something. Um, the well, every year there's a um, they they make you have to do something to the beer. Mm-hmm. So this year it was it was a fruit. Oh. So uh, he picked beets. Okay. And he looked up recipes for beets, and they said basically if you ever make them, to basically add as little flavoring to them as possible, uh, basically just salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he picked a saison to go with it because it's very peppery, kind of tasty yep. taste. And then added the peppercorn with it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing I found was interesting. They use fresh beets with it, but once it's done, it's done uh, boiling. The color's gone. Hmm. So they're not red. It's not red. Oh. Um, they're adding beet juice at the end to give it a little tiny bit more flavor and to give it the color. The color. So it's going to be a nice red beer. It's kind of cool. Yeah, the scratch only comes in draft. So. Well, I've seen bottles of it before. Um, uh, maybe at the brewery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have brought them, so yeah. I haven't seen them for sale. Around so. in Pittsburgh area, we can only get them at bars on draft. So, the next one I had here was Stone's 17th Anniversary IPA. And I'm, I can't say the name. Goddardammerung, that's my go. I'm, I'm doing my, my German heritage. A disservice? Yeah. Um... G-O-T-T-E-R-D-A-M-M-E-R-U-N-G. So I thought that was pretty good on Gotterdammerung. Gotterdammerung. And some umlauts here and there. Yeah. Just sprinkle them on. Like, That's like, right. Yeah. Thanks, Pepper. So obviously an IPA, 22-ounce uh, bottles of draft, 9.5% alcohol. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't do like a 10. It seems like they've been kind of inching up their uh, you know, special releases in alcohol lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the hop bill I found for this, though, is just ridiculous. So, Magnum, Hercules, Merker, Opal, Emerald, a.k.a. Smarsgood? Or Smarsgood? I, I've never <laughs> There's heard There's no other S in there. Smaragd? Smaragd. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. I haven't heard of a couple of these. Um, I, I, I heard of Emerald. Um, Strichelspalt, I've never heard of. German, Herzbrucker, and Sterling. So that, I don't know. I'm interested to try this. I, I'm i going to guess that they did an intense amount of research to see if any of those hops worked with each other. Right. But it just seems like it would be very hard to get that many hops to... They, well, they said they called it Gotterdammerung because whatever that translates to is um, like a mismatch or a hodgepodge. So basically they're combining a, like a German... You know, history to this West Coast crazy IPA stone style, uh, and it results in a Gotterdammerung. Hmm. Gotti. Yeah. Okay. So the last one I had. Oh. Hello. Hey, sorry guys. <laughs> Turn the speaker up here a little bit. Our guest for the night just popped in. Michael, how you doing? Great. How about yourself? Very good. We we're just finishing up talking about some new beers. The uh, last one I had to mention was kind of interesting. Uh, Dogfish has come another coming out with another one of their ancient ales. It's a Nordic grog. Um, that sounds kind of interesting. I was uh, thought grog was just a joke term for like yeah, bad no. booze. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's an old style. So they mm-hmm. did the same thing, pulled it out of you know old uh, uh, old jars and pottery shards and. Yeah. and um, called uh, uh, KVASIR. I'm going to guess it's silent K. 
no, no, because there's the kvass, right? Yeah. So maybe it's a kvassier. Well, it's a 10%, however you pronounce it. Um, I couldn't find a good pronunciation. Uh, they'll do bottles and draft. Uh, it's not one of those kind of odd dogfish head ones. Uh, lingonberry, cranberry, birch syrup, honey, cranberry juice, and herbs. I don't know exactly what herbs, but um, I, I guess my complaint about their beers anymore is that's a lot of stuff to taste any of it. And I don't know what half of them are. Well, okay, not in this one. I, I know what cranberries are, but I'm not sure what a lingonberry is. Yeah. Can you help us out here? <laughs> yeah, have you guys uh, made anything with lingonberries? Yeah, it's a uh, like a blackberry. Oh, perfect! Oh. We need the meat guy all the time. Saves the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess... Uh, I'm interested to try. I mean, obviously I'll try. Yes. But It said it's going to come to our state, so here's one we'll get. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of like uh, Michael almost, you know knew what we were going to talk about because I was just getting ready to get to the mead section. Um, I kind of wanted to mention before we started talking too much uh, a rough idea of what you know, what mead is for everyone. Because um, I think it's kind of a term that people have heard even from, you know, like the uh, uh, Beowulf and things like that that I know before I really looked into mead before, when I started liking craft beer, I didn't... I guess I really didn't know what it was. Like, I thought it was more beer-like than, than uh, mead-like, I guess. Sure. Um, so, from the, the ever-trusted Wikipedia, mead is an alcoholic beverage that is produced by fermenting a solution of honey and water. It can be flavored with spices, fruit, or hops. ABV can range from 8 to 18%. Does that sound like a pretty fair kind of intro to that? Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, it can go. Some needs in the marketplace today are around five percent. They go. You can go all oh, the way up to twenty-three percent. Oh wow! I didn't know they went went as low as five. That's kind of interesting. Be like a session mead. Yeah, it's kind of. It's called the hydromel. Oh, so okay. It's a watered down mead. Oh wow! Okay. Um, thing I thought was interesting. I didn't know this until I looked this up. Um, I, I kind of saw all the terms about mead and and kind of what they were, but um, and you're going to have to help me once you have the pronunciation here. Uh, mead that's with the spices and herbs, uh, methylgin. Yeah. Um, methylgin, yeah. And uh, the mead made with fruit is melomel, and mead fermented with grape juice. I never heard of this one. Uh, called a piment. That's correct. We actually have four piments in production right now. Oh, wow. So we're making one with uh, Cabernet, um, Savignon grapes, Riesling, Chardonnay, and Old Vine Zinfandel. Oh, wow. So did you already ask, how many types of meads are there, or is it, like, infinite? Uh, how many types of types? Of, you're, I'm not sure I understand the question. So how many categories <laughs> of meads? Or? Uh, well, since we were talking about how you can make these different ones, like these sizers and the mellow mels. So you can, I mean, it's just all, like, Saying stout or IPA or something—it's just how it's how it's made, aged. Yeah, I gotta well, brush up my terms. So much opportunities to make almost an infinite number of different styles of mead. I mean, we've got over seventy commercial recipes approved at this point. So you can think about whether you're combining cinnamon and vanilla—that's the new flavor. You could add cinnamon, and by itself, you can range the types of levels of cinnamon, the type of cinnamon. So, you know, whether it's without spices, if it's with fruit, fruit and spices, 
So it's, it's almost an infinite number that you can awesome. kind of create the recipe from. Wow. So I guess to this would be better, good as time as any, um, uh, Michael, uh, and I guess do the proper introduction, uh, we're talking with Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery uh, out of uh, New Hampshire. Um, very, you know, first off, thanks for making the time. Um, sure. I see the... Yeah, your, your Facebook and Twitter, and I see how many states you're going into. I, I don't know when you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> not often and not long enough. Yeah, I started uh, making mead in my basement um, back in 1995. Uh, I was at a party. I was just joined up, started making beer, and by July I was at a party, and somebody was offering me a sizer. And I was trying not to embarrass myself, so I said, sure, I'll try it. And uh, you ever seen a baby try something for the first time? Basically, <laughs> I was 29 years old, and I'm like, what is this stuff? Um, and told me it's an apple mead, and I'm like, okay, that's useless. What is mead? And he hmm. said, wine made from honey, and I'm like, wait a second. I used to be a beekeeper. How do you make wine from honey? So as he walked me through the process, I figured it out and went home. And the first few batches were pretty rough to take, but by 2006, president of the largest homebrew club here in New Hampshire, Brew Free or Die, I was always thinking I was going to start a brewery. I had drove around with a brewer license plate for a long time, and uh, I had an epiphany. I realized that when I pulled out bottles of beer, my buddies were hanging around. I pulled out a bottle of mead, every woman in the room was knocking somebody over. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we're now in 27 states, and we're working real soon to announce whether we've got uh, international distribution to Australia. Congratulations. Oh, wow. Thank you. You know, sadly, the laws in Pennsylvania aren't as favorable to getting things yeah. like mead. If I can plead ignorance, I'm going to go ahead and blame the state for my lack of knowledge in mead. So there's, there's really good news on the Pennsylvania front. Um, you can have any of your listeners from Pennsylvania contact me, and I will give them the personal email address of who they need to contact in the State Liquor Control Board uh, to help get our meads in their specialty stores, because there's 70 specialty stores. Mm -hmm. I know they've gotten the product back on June 2nd. I'm still waiting to hear back from the uh, feedback on the results, but I'm thinking they're probably going to pull in close to 600 cases very soon. Excellent. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Well, we got you right at a good time then. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Michael was nice enough to send us a couple meads to try, and one of the things I wanted to uh, kind of talk to you about is, you know, Amanda and I are really good with... Um, with beer and tasting beer and like the descriptors we use and what, you know, describing how we're tasting it. Um, right now, I mean, I've had a lot of different kinds of mead before, but my taste descriptors for it basically go sweet and dry yeah. <laughs> and good and bad. Yeah. This is sweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really, you know, I know how to say something tastes earthy or grassy with beer, but I'm Can we use descriptors like that with beer? Descriptors can work. You're going to be talking about context, which is how much uh, flavor you're going to get from all the product, you know, the ingredients in there. You, you really want to look for well-balanced. Um, the acidity level should support the amount of sugar and vice versa. So on our meads in particular, we tend to focus from dry to semi-sweet to sweet. And my whole premise on why I create so many different varieties is I want to be the category. I, I don't want to have one or two meads that somebody can pigeonhole and say, oh, Moonlight Meadery makes X. Mm -hmm. I don't make X. I make like X to the 10th power. I mean, it's, it's really trying to focus on how creative I can be and how much craft I can add to the process. 
Excellent. So the first one that we're trying here is Kurt's apple pie. Uh, I haven't tasted it yet. I smelled it when I opened it, and it smells pretty amazing. So one of the tricks for making any, whether it's beer or cider or mead, is when you're working with spices, you want to be very careful. You don't want to just hammer it into the taste buds. So in this particular one, we dilute the honey with apple cider, so it's fresh-pressed apple cider. Hmm. We let it ferment out to completion, and then we add the uh, Vietnamese cinnamon and Madagascar bourbon vanilla beans. And that gives it the ability to kind of pick up that apple honey note with the, the pie-like essence to it. Oh, yeah, I can, I can almost taste pie just smelling it. So just kind of like in the upper part of my palate, I can just, it's like I eat a piece of pie. Yeah, you do. You get like a, like a cinnamon yeah. kind of brown sugary taste at the top. So by using the best possible ingredients like Vietnamese cinnamon, which is actually from a cinnamon tree, and Madagascar bourbon vanilla beans. Yeah, you know, we don't scrape the vanilla beans. We just put them in. You guys just made the classic face. You know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, that's perfect. I mean, this is my number one bestseller. So we're we're in 27 states with this product. I, I can see why. It's, yeah, it's really... I have to admit, I went, oh, apple pie. <laughs> I was very excited about that. I've had some apple pie beers in the past, so. So we were down at the uh, National Homebrewers Conference down in Philadelphia, and we went clo through close to 15,000 samples in four days. Wow. Now, so what um, like what dryness level would you call this? Because, I mean, I get a lot of the, the apple kind of cinnamony sweetness, but it seems like it, it still stays a little dry. Yeah, it's like a dry bite at the end or something. So that, this one's actually on the BJCP scale in the sweet category, but if I was to enter this into a commercial competition or back when I was making amateur meads, it would not win because it's not sweet enough for amateur competitions. You, you have to understand when people are judging product, they, they have a conception of what they think the product's gonna, supposed to taste like, and it's not based on, well, is it commercially viable, and will people actually drink more than a sip or two? And with this one in particular, we had a young lady call a meadery one day, and she said, hey, I love the single-serve size bottles. I'm like, man, wow. <laughs> you better check the alcohol percentage on that. <laughs> That's close to 17%. And, oh, really? Uh, wow. And she said, no, you don't understand. I have such a good time at these parties. And I'm like, oh, I bet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that does not taste like a 17%. Because That's... what we're doing is we're controlling the fermentation temperature. So we never cook the honey when we get it in. We keep it natural. And, and honey is full of enzymes. And, and those enzymes have a, a way of representing the flavor. And if you denature them and cook them out of it, it, it doesn't taste the same. And we never back sweeten our mead. So this is everything, all the fermentables were combined up front. We let it ferment till the yeast is pretty much out of, um, out of ability to go any further. And then we, you know, we add the cinnamon and vanilla and, and let it finish, and then we, you know, we bottle it. But put this up with some cheddar cheese, and it's fantastic. Cheddar cheese. I, I could totally taste that. You know, because I mean, you know, like uh, like cheddar and apple mm -hmm. taste good together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, you said like not sweet enough to win uh, a um, amateur competition. I think that's perfect. I mean, I don't I don't like things that are really super sweet. Uh, yeah, and, and that's when I was giving my speech at the National Homebrewers Conference. The um, the point that I'm trying to make when I say that is that you know. If you look at a finishing mead that has, you know, like 1035 uh, starting gra or finishing gravity, that's that's a that's pretty sweet. You know, that's pushing eight bricks, which is eight percent sugar. 
and to go up above that where some of these meads are, you almost get like a syrupy context to it, which, you know, I understand the, the, the value of something like that, but the commercial application and the pleasingness of it for me is not there. So that's why I'm trying to really kind of hone in on what really works. And we do make some sweet meads, but we try to really balance out how the, the acidity and the, the honey works together. I think that that's a, a great point because I know I've spoken to some people before um, that are just you know real beer nuts, and when I talked to them about mead, um, I made uh, I've made one batch of it so far. It turned out okay, um, but you know when I talked to them about it, they a lot of beer people just kind of seem turned off to it pretty quickly because they think I don't know if they tried one before that was just super super sweet, but um, they almost think you know why well, just like my bitter my bitter beer, my bitter IPA, so I don't, you know, I don't yeah, want something sweet. That's, that's a really good um, comment, which is basically, and how we talk about it to customers, I said, did you give up drinking beer at Budweiser? You know, I mean, nothing mm -hmm. against poor Budweiser, but I mean, it's not my good <laughs> Poor <to> Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's basically, there's a million and one things that, you know, like ice cream, do you say you don't like ice cream, or do you say you don't like, you know, pistachio ice cream, or, you know, there can be, you know, to say you don't like mead means you haven't tried them all. Yeah, uh, exactly. In fact, we had um, our last episode of the show was about beer myths, and it was one of my uh, general complaints about people in beers when they say, I don't like dark beer or lighter beers or I don't like IPAs. or It's just there, there's just so much in all of those that to say I don't like mead is just crazy talk. I mean, well, that's like us. When someone says they don't like beer, that just makes us want to find a beer that they'll like. So it's a challenge I, at that point. When I was courting uh, my wife, um, she, we, we were at a German restaurant. She goes, I don't like beer. And I said, you haven't had the right beer. Yes. So right. I ordered her a Celebrator Doppelbach, and I got to see her the expression on her face as she tasted it. And uh, it, it, it's, it's fun to see people try something that they haven't had or the experience with. And that's what I get to see every single day. I mean, we just you know, we just had probably our busiest week of customers coming through our tasting room this week alone. And, um, you know, it's great to see how many customers are referring other people to come up and visit and try our product. So you mentioned, um, you know, you started making mead in your basement. What was the... Uh what was the first one you made? Just a you know nice regular mead, or was it a? Yeah, it was a traditional mead, wildflower honey. Um, I probably tried to use more like a beer, ale, you know, beer yeast, ale yeast, uh, versus a white wine yeast. I pretty much use Laval and 71B across the spectrum these days for every mead I make. Um, but we are starting to play around with some uh, meads with Brettanomyces and Lactobacillus in it to really kind of continue to push that envelope. Sour meads. Yeah, that I, I don't think I've ever, I mean, not that I'm really into the mead world too much, but I've never heard of that happening, so that's... We will be knocking down your door yeah. as soon as that's available, we, we that's might for have sure. To, we might have another talk soon. <laughs> yeah, we're also playing around and starting to work on uh, recipe formulation for some very hoppy, like a double hopped IPA mead style. You know, I really want to try to get a really nice dry hop and bitterness and I've been talking to friends of mine in the, the craft beer world on how to go about doing that so it's been We've had uh, locally made um, hoppy cider which I thought was fantastic mm -hmm. so I do like the crossbreeding of the alcohols here that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so 
kind of um, to go back to something we, we mentioned earlier with the you know craft beer people and mead. Something I've noticed lately, and kind of the reason why we're even talking on the show, is it seems like um, it seems like craft beer people tend to really like mead. Um, and it seems to be kind of always grouped in with that category, um, where even like you said, how you know you'll be pouring samples at generally what's a beer festival, and I've seen that you know a lot of other times too. Uh, it, what what do you think it is that makes mead really kind of tie in with with craft beer people? Because it's a craft beverage, so um, the the BJCP includes uh, mead and ciders underneath their judging guidelines. So most homebrewers that have read Charlie Papazian's book or you know been to homebrew meetings may have experienced it. So that's why you know I particularly talk to homebrewers about my product because they're the educated consumer. They, they at least know what I'm talking about. When I talk to most people and tell them I make mead for a living, the usual question is, what kind of meat do I make? And, you know, <laughs> it's not quite that easy. But, um, and if you think about it from the perspective that as a um, business owner, I could have chose a brewery license or a meadery or winery license. It just depends on what style of meads that I want to make and how I want to go about doing it. If we would have gone the brewery route, it would have been a lot um, more restrictive on how high of alcohol contents we could use and more relying on state laws. Okay. Yeah, and I, I just, I really do think it's great that a lot of people tend to like the, you know, like you said, the craft beverage idea more than just a, you know, a craft beer or craft mead or, um, I, I like seeing the appreciation, mm -hmm. you know, of not just I like beer, it's I like, something that somebody that, you know, gives a crap about what they're doing made. So. Yeah, like, we only buy, our honey supplier actually is based out of Pennsylvania. We buy it from uh, McClure's, which is, uh, or Pennsylvania Dutch Gold, which is the largest honey supplier in the eastern seaboard. And all the honey we buy is true source certified, which means it's independently traceable all the way back to Beehive. So oh, wow. think about honey being as considered liquid gold. If somebody could figure out a way to dilute honey with 10% corn syrup and nobody could tell, you can't tell me somebody's not trying to do that. Sure. So I need to make sure that I buy the best ingredients possible because you can't make great mead without it or great anything. Yeah, I've read some articles where uh, even in China they've had 100% counterfeit honey. Yeah, full of aluminum. <laughs> that's I mean, that's kind of scary. Um. So I guess you know with you know one thing that we talk a lot about in craft beer is the movement of the craft beer industry and just how you know looking month to month how many more breweries are opening how many are expanding adding canning and bottling and just you know everywhere that craft beer can explode anymore it just is it's just growing um, is is the meat industry kind of keeping pace with that or yeah it's at a different scale but it's certainly um, growing at a very rapid clip I mean. I'm certainly not the trailblazer. Uh, there are a lot of meteries that I consider um, my colleagues in the industry, you know, whether it's uh, Mike Paul from Rabbit's Foot or um, Dave Meyer from uh, Redstone Meadery or Brad from uh, Bee Nectar. I look at all these guys as role models for how, you know, I've looked at what I wanted to do to the craft mead world, and, you know, we've been mentioned as being the most successful craft meadery in the country. And, yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. I used to joke with my wife. I said I thought it was the world, but, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just me being me. 
which is, you know, I'm trying to make what I like, and if nobody drinks what I make because they don't like it, perfect. More for me. More for you. And, exactly. Uh, that's how I go about everything I do. So the the second mead that uh, that we got is and this is one I'm really excited about. Uh, it's called Desire. So uh, honey, black currant, uh, black cherry, blueberry. Um, so specialty wine. It says specialty wine on it. Is that just a like the like state designation yeah. for it? Well, it, you got two choices really. Once it gets above fourteen percent, it can be called other than standard or specialty wine. Okay. So, um, basically, because it's most wines are under 14% alcohol, once you get above 14%, the federal government kind of steps in and starts putting all these kind of funny descriptors on the labels for what you can and can't say. Now, this is the one I quit my day job over. This is the one that won uh, first place in a competition of 353 entries, beer, meat, and cider from all over the United States and Canada. And, you know, this is my baby. This one... Is my per one of my personal favorites. The um, the currants really kind of work with the cherry and the blueberries. And what I hear consistently from sommeliers that try this is they can take each and every flavor. Wow! Yeah, that that is that is exactly what I was hoping it would taste like. So um, and again, almost 17% alcohol. Really kind of hard to taste that. I can taste it even less in this one, I think, than the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could smell it just a little bit, like take a nice deep breath. I get just a little bit of that um, alcoholic taste, or I mean alcoholic, uh, like aroma on, on the end of the, the smell, but I don't taste it at all. That's that's kind of dangerous. Yeah, we, well, we came up with a tagline, Romance by the Glass, because we were trying to, uh, you know, my original tagline for the company was curl your toes with me, and I was trying to be cute and sexy, you know, I'm trying to target <laughs> my uh, demographic here. And my buddies came over one day, and he said to me, he goes, uh, yeah, but toe curling can be really horrible. <laughs> I don't think you want to use that for your tagline. And I'm like, you got a good point. And um, so I was thinking about how Bunratty Castle in Ireland talks about the term honeymoon being the uh, tradition of giving a newly married couple enough need to last their first month of marriage or first moon. It was to encourage fertility and happiness that romance by the glass kind of popped into my head and what we tell customers is the bottles are small enough to be shared basically you know you don't want to drink them by yourself but perfect for two I love it yeah yeah I mean I don't you know things like this I don't like being in too big of bottles because I don't like to just something this good I don't like to drink you know very quickly and drink a ton of at once so it, when I get things that are in bigger bottles I tend to not drink them yeah, like they, they end up sitting around a little bit too long. Um, and what's great with the meads that I make, you get almost two weeks of shelf life. So after you have it open, do you mean? Yeah, that's awesome. So it doesn't oxidize the same way that you can with like a traditional wine. You know, I've had meads that were ten years old up to eighteen. The oldest mead I've ever tried was sixty years old, and it Ooh. was spectacular. How long do you recommend you sit on the average mead? Because, you know, a lot of us beer nerds are such cellar <laughs> nerds. We just have to put everything away. We can't drink it. Yeah, I've been working through my beer cellar. I think I've drank uh, probably close to $6,000 worth of beer in the last three years out of my cellar. But uh, <laughs> I, had a, well, I had a nice day job before I started my metery. But um, let's see. You can't go wrong with sitting on it. Um, mead just continues to mature and age to perfection. I mean, we're making some mead with heather blossom honey. 
that we don't expect to release probably for another five to six years, maybe ten years. Wow. So <laughs> just holding on to it. And our Utopian series, which we barrel age in Sam Adams Utopias barrels, we get $100 a bottle for what we make in those barrels. And, uh, you know, we don't have enough to supply the country. We can only really keep it in our showroom. That's interesting how much money must be tied up. Uh, so to speak, when you when you're running a meadery, since it's not like Bud, where you're just turning these things out and selling them and drinking them fresh. So yeah, we're, there's at least a three month minimum process time for us, and um, it's, yeah, it's extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean to jump the gun here, but the Utopia thing was crazy uh, when Brian first was telling me about how you you age in these Utopia barrels. Can I ask how you even got there? Uh. Sure. I used to, um, well I'm a certified beer judge and the Boston Beer Company approached me to help run their long shot competition a number of years back, Rob Driscoll, and he said, Michael, can you run this competition? And I said, sure. <laughs> now, he never asked me if I'd ever done it before. But the, first, <laughs> the first competition had almost 700 entries. Oh my gosh! Finished to the minute I said we'd finish. So you know, my previous career as executive manager, I'm very good at delegation and management of logistics, and and so I just I had a blast doing it. So I kept taking more and more responsibility, and I basically ran the Patriot Long Shot competitions for four years and had the best time of my life doing it. So I, when I tell people I have very very good friends at Sam Adams, I mean I have really good friends at Sam Adams. Right. So. <laughs> Fair I was enough. <laughs> fortunate enough to uh, make a right call the right day that they had barrels sitting on their dock and they they gleamed up the shining light on me and said you can have them. Wow. Oh, wow. And uh, we've got what equates to almost a million dollars worth of product now sitting in those barrels. Oh my Ooh. goodness. <laughs> so how long? Um, just that one really interests me. Um, how how long do you roughly keep uh, keep the meat in those? Uh, we're up to t almost two and a half years right now. The next batch will come out at three years. The batch after that will come out at four years, etc. So we're we're basically we're on a a, a <laughs> the longer it gets, the shorter the supply. Right. Um, and there's an awful lot of interest. We had one lady come in and buy out almost a half a case. And when I first put the first batch for sale, you know, we originally said the price at like $40 a bottle because I had no idea what people were willing to pay and I thought it was pretty good and mm -hmm. most of our meat sell for about $15 a bottle and this gentleman came in and he laughed at me and he said you're never gonna sell a bottle oh, and I looked at him and I said well you haven't tasted it tell you what let me give you a taste see what you think now he took one sip out of that glass he looked me in the face and he said I'll take two cases <laughs> Oh so since then, um, we've seen batch one for sale in some stores in the Boston area for $200 a bottle. Now, we're selling batch, we sold out of batch five. Uh, batch four, we still have a little bit of left um, in stock, but batch six, we're down to our last four cases, and we're getting $100 a bottle for it at our retail shop. My goodness. Uh, I mean, uh, I that seems like a pretty fair price. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty epic, to tell you the truth. The flavors are just spectacular, and it's won back-to-back -back medals at the International Mazer Competition in Boulder, Colorado, the last two years. Wow. Yeah, and it's so, so I guess every release of it is really different than the release before then. So that's, right. 
just like a single malt scotch or a single barrel scotch, each each barrel has its own unique characteristic to it. And I was so blessed to get an email from Jim Cook, um, September 23rd, I think, or 24th last year, um, where you know basically I'd sent him a bottle saying, you know, thanks for all your help, and Aww. he sent me a note and he said, Michael, I shared a bottle with my wife, and I got to tell you, big improvement on wine. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know. He's never going to tell me it's better than beer. That's <laughs> compliment I'm ever getting. And uh, it's just been, you know, I think it really kind of highlights how down to earth Jim Cook really is, and how he really cares about the people he talks about, and how he runs his company. That's and great to hear. Yeah. He's a role model. Yeah. So two things I love hearing about in you know craft beer and mead industry is one, you know the people appreciating craft beverage and then two is the people being nice yeah I just I, it makes me happy to hear that you know some of these big companies that we all like and you know drink things from are actually headed by people we like yeah um, that at least makes me feel better when I give them a bunch of money <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I do my share of drinking of one of my favorite IPAs I've got my smutty nose IPA. I thought I saw a smutty nose bottle earlier I was gonna ask you I knew they were out of New Hampshire so I figured that's uh, nice and fresh up there yeah that's my go-to IPA these days it's been that for a long time but um, it the craft beer or craft beverage industry is really in my mind unlike any other industry in the world where People are collaborative. They're helpful to each other. It's not, you know, I used to, sorry. Oh, of course, they don't shut off the phone and it rings. <laughs> we had one go off a little earlier. It's fine. That was me, too. So, so the, um, but by being collaborative, you build a stronger community. And it's not about stepping on somebody's back. It's about helping a hand. And, you know, I've certainly helped a lot of new mead makers who have asked me questions on how to go about the process and we're trying to help out um, the gentleman who's moving into making craft cider and uh, doing what I can to help him and it's just really he makes a stellar product that is fantastic and I wish him all the success because he deserves it. Oh yeah I mean there's definitely at least for the foreseeable future, there is definitely enough market space for everyone right now. You know, I mean, it, everything is growing, but, you know, the, the demand for the good things are just so massive now that you know, there's, there's more than enough room for everyone. Yeah, the key is make good product. If you make good product, you deserve to be at the table. And, and some people that will make fantastic product may may not have the, the business acumen. To, to hold it off. I mean, growing a company as fast as we've been growing is is insane. I mean, it really is insane. I should take a day or two off and just sit back and relax and think about, you know, what do I want to accomplish? But my goal is I want to make it. And I've got sales teams at 23 different distributors that are very eager to go off and bring it into people to let them taste it. And when they taste it, the orders just keep on coming. Well, you have two pretty big fans in PA now, so if you need some help in PA, you know, maybe we'll get the first bottle sale. <laughs> I'll shoot you the contact information, so if any of your fans uh, write to you, because yeah, definitely, I would nothing look better to be in all the specialty stores in Pennsylvania. We are selling almost a hundred cases a month here in New Hampshire, 
and um, you know, if we can get Pennsylvania to move to 100 cases, 200 cases, there's a lot more people in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania's a big state, yes. And yeah, we're all uh, alcoholics, I think. <laughs> <laughs> especially with like the apple pie and desire, which we, we basically are two flagship needs that we sell. So I got one more uh, mead question I had uh, written down here I wanted to ask you was um, kind of, you know, another thing showing our inexperience in, you know, with mead is generally speaking, and, you know, maybe using the two we have here as examples, you know, should should people or, you know, should we keep this cold, chilled uh, room temperature? And then, you know, what kind of glassware do you recommend? So great question. So the colder you make anything, the less you taste. Certain yeah. large beverage companies put it into their contracts, must be served ice cold. That's because they don't want you to taste the product. Thank exactly. you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I want you to enjoy my product, so I don't want you to ever serve it um, super chilled. We serve everything in our tasting room at room temperature, basically so it really expresses the honey and the fruit notes. Now, you could take a sweeter mead and chill it down like our sumptuous, which is made with mangoes and honey. The, as you chill it, the fruit takes a little more step forward with the, the flavor. Um, the glass you have like that, which is a you know brandy snifter, works perfectly fine. I I'll drink it out of the bottle if I have to, but yeah, you, know, you, know, you you want to be able to smell the aroma, um, and um, yeah, it's it's really kind of neat to see. Like we make one that's available nationwide called Fling, which is a strawberry and rhubarb, and uh, it's made with orange blossom honey. Pair that up with a goat cheese salad. It's it's rather spectacular. And um, if any of your fans or, you know, I know how internet stuff can go viral, are in a state that doesn't have our product, our brand agent is St. Killian, and they are basically responsible for getting distributors in every state. And that's their goal, is to build the brand that we've partnered with them for. That's why we pay them money. So, you know, if your fans can't find it. Contact us, and we will help work to make uh, make it happen. I know we're working on some pretty big states right now, like Texas and Pennsylvania, but these are all perfect opportunities where there's an awful lot of people. That are yeah, and I'll I'll make sure in the when I post the show here in the next uh, next day or two that I'll put a yeah obviously put a link to your site, and uh, if you want to email me that information, I'll make sure that gets up there too. Sure. Um, because I. You know, basically, everyone watching this should try this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, the last last real question I had for you is, um, it, you know, the the actual making part. So, for someone out there that, you know, use me as an example because I made one, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, you know, what kind of tips do you have for someone that's starting out making meat as a home brewer? Sure. Um, and like, what you know, what are the basic kind of tools of the trade you think a home brewer needs to just basically get started? So you need to have as fresh as honey as you can possibly get. You need to make sure it's from a, a valued source that you can trust, not from like a you know mega store that you have no idea if it's even honey or not. Um, from there, you want to not pasteurize it. You want to keep honey natural, so you want to maybe possibly warm it up if you need to, but if you're doing a small quantity for like a homebrew size, you're going to use about 18 pounds of honey for a five-gallon batch. So you're using about about a gallon and a half in a five-gallon batch. So a gallon and a half of honey, three was that four and a half, uh, three and a half gallons of water, and you dilute that and mix it up 
And what we do is we use um, Lavalin 71B, and we're pitching at a rate of one gram per gallon. So that may be a little less than what you need for a brewer size. You might want to go with two or three packets of uh, dry yeast, but rehydrate that yeast. Follow the staggered nutrient regime, which is you know go firm and firm K. And basically, what you're doing there is giving the yeast the nitrogen it needs to form the cells, you know, the walls of the cells properly. And the first three days, you're really just growing the colony. And once you get the colony to size, it it rips through that mead like like butter. And uh, we ferment at 62 degrees, and that's what gives us that nice clean flavor without the fusel alcohols. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes about three months. And once it's done the three-month process, you know, we're racking it off a second into secondary and letting it settle until we're ready to go at that point. Never oh, ever. So you actually leave it on your primary for Yeah, I was. I thought the entire process took three months, so just the first, ah, all right. Yeah, we, we don't move it out of the primary fermenter for three months. And wow. We don't have conicals, so we could, you know, we could possibly try to just rack it off the bottom, but we haven't ever seen a problem with the, you know, autolysis or anything else like that. No, I mean, if it's, yeah, if that's what you did to these two, then just keep doing it. <laughs> I, mean, I tell customers every single day, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not changing anything. <laughs> well, I heard uh, somebody say before that basically everyone is just making it up as they go. They there, There's some basic guidelines that you need to follow, but you know the specifics are just what you think is right. Yeah, it's almost like I can't tell you how to do it because I do it so much and it's so instinctive. It's like kind of saying to somebody, how do you breathe? Right. Like, yeah. Suck in the air and you breathe it out, but really, there's an awful lot of muscles controlling that interaction. But you know, for me, making mead these days, and I've got a team of four in my production staff. You know, from Chris Killinger, my um, fermentation specialist, Rick Argwin, my production manager, and Joe Duita, my assistant mead maker. You know, all all three of those guys and myself and Eric Schroeder, my cellar master. You know, we work together as a team, and you know, part of the challenges we face is how do we bloody keep making product as well as giving tours and tastings every day of the week. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we've got some logistics that we're trying to get around, but um, success is kind of pushing around. Good problems to have. <laughs> it's not a complaint. Yeah. It's all about the quality of the problem, not the quantity. <laughs> True enough. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically everything, everything question-wise I had. I mean, it's... With that little bit of information, I feel like I kind of understand this meat a little better now. It's not just good. Thank you. Um, I, I honestly, though, I think my favorite might be this this apple pie. I mean, it's it's sweet, but I like that it still has that dry drier finish to it. Brian and I flip flopped. I thought the apple pie was going to be my favorite, and I like the desire. <laughs> Yeah, we tend to see we sell off a lot of both of them. Back in May, we sold a thousand cases in one single day. So, oh my god! That that's pretty impressive for a company. We're now the biggest winery in the entire state of New Hampshire, and we were the first to be distributed from New Hampshire to California. The first winery from New Hampshire to be distributed nationwide, and it looks like we're going to be the first to be international. And you know, these aren't things I set off to do. It's just you know opportunity comes my way and I, I know how to take advantage or take, yes. take that opportunity. Well, awesome. I'm, you know, like I said, again, thanks for taking the time. Um, sure, Brian, no problem. You're way busier than, than I am. So, 
you know, squeezing. I'm going to go enjoy my dinner and a glass of mead. Oh, sounds perfect. I actually am having a nice, fuzzy, warm feeling off of, like, four sips of mead, so I know I'm new to this. Yeah. I think we might have to uh, share the, the rest of these bottles. Awesome. Well, just remember, if your people here. friends and fans can't find it, just demand it. Um, That's right. Available nationwide. Yeah, I agree totally, and I think with Pennsylvania at least kind of hopefully changing our, our beer and liquor laws here in the near future, um, hoping it makes things easier uh, on everyone involved. But Yeah, we can't wait to see you around here, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll definitely not only post the, the information, but I'll probably have to send a letter or two. Yes. All right. Yeah, definitely give us exactly who to write to. Thank you. That'll be perfect. I will do that. Well, everyone else watching and those of you that are going to listen to this later, thank you very much. Um, you know, we're all, all the way up to episode 12. I appreciate everybody that's, you know, viewed so far and everyone that's listened. Uh, like I always say, if you have any problems with it, if you have a question, if you think that I'm totally off base and crazy, uh, just leave me a comment on on the webpage, uh, craftbeeracademy.com, and, if, you know, Yell at me in on Twitter at uh, craftbeeracad. Just him though. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, made us perfect. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Michael Fairbrother. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, Moonlight Meadery. Thank you. Uh, the information to contact to get his mead and to find the website will be on my website, and I should have this up in a day or two. So, Michael, thanks again. Perfect. Mead. Have a Cheers. good night. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Craft Beer Showdown podcast. Make sure to check out craftbeeracademy.com for more information and to give feedback on today's show. Don't forget to watch the next episode live on Google Plus Hangouts or YouTube by going to craftbeeracademy.com slash live dash show.